Good morning, Lindsley Avenue. It's good to see everyone here. It's good to have a couple of visitors. We're glad you're here, and we hope you'll come back and visit again with us whenever you have an opportunity. Uh, Brother James, it's good to have you back from Nigeria. We're really glad about that. So glad. We missed you when you were gone. This morning, the topic that I want us to talk about for just a few minutes is really informed here of this question. Is God really there? Is God really there? You know, at some point, I would really suspect nearly everyone wonders if God is really there. Is God real? Is there a point to all of this? Psalm 30, 13, verse 1, the psalmist even said, How much longer, Lord, will you forget about me? Will it be forever? How long will you hide? King David wondered if God was really there. I have wondered whether God is really there. I've had friends who wondered. So I suspect most of us have at some point wondered. Perhaps we're wondering today. Is God really there? So let's talk about that. To paraphrase one of my favorite internet groups of people, let's talk about that. You know what I'm talking about? And it points to you. If you don't, then you have to ask me. Let's talk about it. So I want to talk about a couple of classical arguments that have been around for a long time. Approaches to trying to address the question, is God really there? This first one starts with a, a three-point argument that will work if all the points are correct. It says, anything that begins to exist has a cause. Anything that begins to exist has a cause. This is true from our own experience. It really is. You and I exist from a cause, the act of conception. Every one of us is here because of a reason where there was an act of conception. The building here exists from a cause, a desire to construct it. Some hundreds plus years ago, the building is here for a reason. The earth, the solar system, the galaxy, all had a cause to be where they are and how they are today. It's from our own experience that you don't come across a chair that began to exist for no reason. It doesn't just pop into existence from out of nowhere, right? I mean, our personal experience says things that begin do so because something caused them to come into existence. The second statement says the universe itself began to exist. So if we grant that anything that begins has a cause, I began, I had a birthday, I had a cause because of the conception that brought me about, just like all of us did. The universe itself also began to exist. You know, 150 years ago, science was settled. I always love that. Science was settled and it said that the universe was eternal and self-existing, that it had no beginning. Always remember that when you hear science is settled, usually that's a way of trying to stifle discussion. We don't want to go there. They don't really think that particularly anymore. Science has come about to agree that the universe itself had a beginning. Many scientists don't like that, but it had a beginning. Think for example, right over my left shoulder, some 93 million miles away, or maybe it's over that way now, is a nuclear furnace. We call it the sun. Every instant it transforms millions and millions and millions of tons of hydrogen into helium through the process of fusion. It's a fire. It's a fire. Okay? It's a nuclear fire, but it's still burning. So when you go out of the building in a few minutes, 
Don't look at it too long, right? But glance up at the sun, it's a fire. Well, what do fires do over time? They tend to burn out. They do tend to burn out. I used to love playing with fires. Mom and dad used to have to really get after me because I'd be up there wanting to, you know, poke at the fire and it didn't need it. Boy, I'd have, I don't know how many logs on there. I'd like to have never burned out, but it did if you left it alone. The fires, when you leave it alone, burn out. The earth still has active volcanoes. There was one going off over in Iceland a few weeks ago. There's been one that's continued to erupt in Hawaii, right? The earth has active volcanoes. When that stuff comes out, that magma, it's hot. Well, you ever had a dessert that's hot? Right? A dessert that's hot? What happens if you leave it on the table for a few months? Is it still hot if you were to dare to try to eat it at that point? No, it cools off. So the dessert, if it's freezing, you don't know if it had always been there or not, but if it's hot, it's going to tell you it just came out of the oven or the microwave. The earth is still hot on the inside. We all know that if something has been there long enough, it eventually it cools off, just like the fire will eventually burn out. Every star in the sky, if you have a queer night, we haven't had many of those recently because of all the rain and clouds, every star in the sky at night is a sun that's just a lot further away. They haven't been there forever either because like any fire, eventually, they're gonna run out of stuff to burn. So when you see the sun, and when you see the stars in the sky, they had a beginning because they haven't always been there. Otherwise, they'd all be burned out already. So as I say, unless they had a beginning, they wouldn't have still be burning. That's what happens after time in fire. Now that's what you want if you're camping out with the Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts. You want the fire to be, you know, where it's not gonna spread, but eventually, it burns up everything it can burn up and it goes out. So, anything that begins to exist has a cause. The universe began or else the sun, all the stars, every galaxy would be dark. It would have burned out. Even if the universe has a huge amount of stuff, we're talking about having been there forever. It's gonna burn everything up at some point. So, every time you see the sun, remember, it has not always been there. Therefore, the argument says the universe had a cause. Look at the dominoes. We've all played around with dominoes. If you were to just walk into a room and dominoes were falling, you would have two choices I would suggest to consider. Either dominoes have always been falling, or there had to have been a first domino. Now, I don't know about you, but I never had a room big enough where I could potentially have an infinite number of dominoes where it had been falling forever. We all know if you see dominoes going, somebody knocked over the first one. And usually it's an accident. You know, Joey, how could you have knocked over the first one? We've been spending hours setting them up and somebody steps up and accidentally hits one, they're gone, right? There's always a first domino, just like in the universe. There's a first cause. Something tipped over the first domino of the universe to be the cause of the universe. That's what this argument suggests. It concludes that the universe began and anything that begins requires a cause. For this not to work, you have to deny those two first statements of the argument. You have to deny that anything that begins has a cause. You have to say something can begin without a cause, which does not fit with any human experience. Or you have to deny the universe began. You have to say it's always been here 
which is flying against the predominant scientific thinking. Really seems hard to do. Really seems hard to deny those two things. Here's another one. Design. An argument from design. Design requires a designer. Now really, this is kind of hard to deny. If design exists, somebody thought through it. Somebody thought through it, okay? The real question is the second point, which is that design exists. Design requires a designer, so the question is, is there actually design that exists in the world or in nature? Evidence put forth would be the design of the human body. Now, if you look at the design of this human body, you may think, well, that's a really poor design. I mean, look, I don't have any covering on the head to keep me from burning up or standing out in the sun. There are all sorts of failings that this design has. The question is, is there a design? There's the elegance of the sky above, design that we see in the universe when we look out. There's apparent fine-tuning even of the constants of physics that enable the universe to exist. Gravitational constant, the list goes on well over a hundred different fundamental constants of nature that have to be exactly where they are, or we would all have gone poof and never been here at all. If, is there design? Well, the rebuttal says that, well, in an infinite universe, if the universe is in fact infinite, everything will happen eventually. So anything you see as design is just going to be, well, something had to be here, so it might as well have been this. Well, I want you to think for a moment. You have to be careful with the argument of design, because you can attribute to God things that you don't understand yet. That's called the God of the gaps. Whenever we don't understand something, you say, well, God must have done it. And that's happened many, many times in the past. You've got to be real careful with that. But still, I want you to imagine you're at the beach. Now, some of you may be doing that listening to me this morning. You may be thinking, boy, I sure wish I were at the beach. But when you're at the beach and you're walking along on the beach, have you ever come across something that you thought, look at that. That's beautiful. And what I'm talking about here would be sandcastle or something. Mine usually look like the little plastic thing I use to form the turrets. Right? They're pretty, pretty pitiful. But sometimes you see somebody that's a real artist and they make a incredible sandcastle. And I want you to imagine you and a, a friend are walking on the side of the ocean and you come across this. <laughs> now your friend says, you know, wow, look at this. Look at this design. What an incredible artist. Who created this? And thank you very much. This is a picture I took of something I made. No, I'm kidding. I didn't Somebody looks at that and says, look at this incredible design. But your friend walking with you says, that's a rather foolish statement. In an infinite universe, everything is bound to happen at some point in time and space. And so when we're walking up, this is merely a chance arrangement of sand that has come together without a cause or purpose. Now, if your friend said that, what would you do with the friend? You'd be thinking, this person needs help. Because any of us that came across this would say somebody made it, right? Now, the issue always is it turns on whether design exists and the viewpoint is greatly affected by a previous conclusion about whether a designer could be out there or not. If somebody is very pro-designer, very pro-cause to the universe, they will see something that appears to be designed and say, absolutely, design. But somebody that's like, no, I don't think there's a designer at home will be greatly inclined to dismiss it. But I want you to remember the giant Statue of Liberty, which is what that is. You go to the beach this summer, 
and you're walking around somebody that hasn't heard this, try it on. Wow, look what the infinite universe of chance and possibilities managed to arrange without purpose here on the beach. They'll look at you like you've lost your mind. Right? So just remember the statue of Luke. Here's another one. And this one is the one that I think really affects me the most. Um, when I think of why do I, when I think about whether God exists, whether God is really there, why do I conclude that yes, God is there? This is the one that comes to me. And that's the argument from right and wrong. Here's what it says. Moral obligation is a fact. We are really, truly, objectively obligated to do good and avoid evil. Now, there's going to be a whole lot of words for this one. I'm, I'm sorry about that. I'm going to try to summarize it. And you've got all the words on the handout. So if you want to read every single word, you can read every single word. But the whole idea is that is there an objective right and wrong, or do we just make it up as we go along? Do we make it up? That's the question. So here we go. It says we need... There really truly is an objective right and an objective wrong. We are obligated to do good and obligated to not do evil. So what is that first statement saying? It doesn't say you can find people who claim to believe they have certain duties or feel responsible to do nice things. I just think I need to be nice. Okay? You can certainly find people that think that way. That's not what it's saying. It's not saying that you won't find people who will do nice things and people who will avoid things that we will think of as bad. It's saying that there's an obligation that's real, that's objective, that's not subject. You ever played a game where somebody says house rules? You ever done that? Somebody, you're playing a game and somebody says house rules? Usually they'll do that right after you. they land on like boardwalk for Monopoly. They say, what well, house rules, the first 30 times the host lands on boardwalk, there's no rent due. They are changing the rules of the game to make it subjective. It's, it's their own version of the rules, right? That's what we're talking about. Is, is, is right and wrong subjective where we have just made it up or do we have some sort of obligation to do good or to do evil? It doesn't mean that uh, there aren't a lot of people that, again, thought they should do good things and shouldn't do bad things. That's not what I was talking about at all. It says that we really are obligated. We really have duties that arise from the way things really are, not simply from what we wish or want. It's claiming that these moral values of right and wrong are obligations in and of themselves, not merely our belief in moral values. These are objective facts. They are real. Okay? So here's the second statement. Either the atheistic view of reality is correct or the religious one is correct. I mean, it is possible that God is not there. It's also possible God is there. One of these two is the correct view of the way the world is. I think we could agree on that. Either God's there or God's not. I mean, that's really the question, right? Is God really there? Could have a yes, could have a no answer to it. So one of these is correct. Either the view that God's not home is correct or the view that God is home is correct. Does the picture of the world presented by the view God is not real match the fact that I really have obligations to do good? I would say the answer is no. The answer is no. Why? Well, we are told that we are the chance products of matter with no purpose. We are here because of mutations that have occurred blindly over time 
as animals in the past and life in the past attempted to find a reproductive advantage called the survival of the fittest. There was no guiding principle to any of it. And so it's just been matter without there being a God anywhere. How can that put an obligation on me? Chance purposeless development can't make me required to do something, right? It can't, just can't do it. What exactly is the moral good if I am here because of chance purposeless products of the past? It can't really be rooted or grounded in a material set of, of things that have happened in the past with no purpose. Suppose we say it's really simply rooted in human desire. We, we want things to be quiet. We want people generally to be able to live their lives without, you know, having their houses burned down or have somebody come in and kill them and eat them or, you know, whatever, right? So we have agreed these are things we should do and here are some things we shouldn't do. We have made the rules. Well, if I say it's that there's an obligation to feed the hungry, that's merely something we have collectively decided right now is what I should do. We today believe it's a good idea to feed the hungry. There's no obligation that it was something we had to do 100 years ago or that we would do 100 years in the future. We today believe that we have decided that it's a bad thing to discriminate against people. By the way, it is. But 100 years ago, they came up, whoever they are, right? Those people 100 years ago, they said it was fine. If we are making up the rules as we go along and changing them, I can't say it was wrong in the past. I can't do it. Because they agreed to their rules and I have agreed to my rules. Who knows what the rules will be 100 years from now. It simply says no one is really obligated to feed the hungry. If you feel like feeding the hungry, good for you, I suppose. I don't know what good means. But there's no requirement to feed the hungry. Just walk on by because there is no obligation on anyone for any reason because obligation or requirement does not exist. Does not exist. So I will suggest to you that the atheistic view of reality the, fact, the answer to the question, is God really there coming out as no, means you can't really have obligations. What's putting the obligation on anybody? Society? That's just because they could whoop up on me and throw me in jail if I don't behave. They've simply decided this is what I should do. Another society can come to a different set of conclusions. One wonders, for example, how we could ever hold a nation or a group of people responsible for what we would call, you know, crimes against humanity. We did that in World War II. We accused Saddam Hussein of the same kind of thing. Isn't that really from a, if God's not there, isn't that really because we won the war in World War II and we had the tanks and everything and we imposed what we wanted on those people? I mean, What's an atrocity at all? How do you define an atrocity? This person had their rules and I had my rules. How does that work? The Nazi Holocaust of the Jewish people? If the answer to whether God is there is a no, Hitler was just doing what he wanted to do. Who am I to require Hitler to come to the same conclusion that I have? Now, let me say real quickly, I believe it was an atrocity. 
But if their God is not home, who says what's right and wrong? We can collectively agree on the rules. We're going to play the game in the house. But there's nothing that objectively, finally says yes or no to whether something's right or wrong. It's just not the point. People can say, well, yeah, but Hitler killing all these Jewish people was wrong. You can feel that it was bad, but that's because we're conditioned in our society to say it's wrong, not because if God's not home, there's really a point to whether it's really wrong. So I will suggest the religious view of reality is correct. If you're going to have something that's truly right and truly wrong, not merely made up today, that can change tomorrow, that can change the day after that, then the religious view of reality has to be correct. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you believe evil exists in the world? If you've watched the news in the last week, I suspect you do. Okay? Uh, I mean, there have been people that have just been shot for what I would suggest seem to be pretty small reasons. Why shoot anybody? Why shoot anybody? There have been people who have been murdered. There have been atrocities. There are things that you can't see on TV, I can't, without getting very emotional when I see little kids suffer. I can't do it. I firmly believe there's evil in the world. Now, if you're talking to someone and they say, no, I don't think there's evil in the world, I'm going to suggest to you, try to walk the beach with somebody else. Because if someone doesn't believe there's evil in the world, that's not the kind of person you just want to be walking along by yourself with. Because who knows what they're going to decide next. We call people who deny something any evil exists in the world as people that need some help. We do. So let me ask you this, right? Here's another view of the argument. If God does not exist, then right and wrong do not exist. Not in any objective fact. It's all made up. Right and wrong are simply things we have made up to keep society working better. But it can change. What's right today can be wrong tomorrow. What was wrong yesterday can be right today. So there's no true right and wrong. It changes. But there are some things that are simply flat out evil. They're just flat out evil. And at the root of it, you will find everybody agrees something I could describe to you would be so terrible that anybody, anytime is going to say, yeah, that, that's not right. You know, you can find people that would think it's okay to cheat on taxes. You can find people that would say, no, that's evil. You can find disagreement on some things, right, where people won't agree with them, but you can find some things that are just flat out wrong. I mean, the Nazi Holocaust, really, truly, nearly everybody says it was wrong, and we few people that say, no, it was okay for Hitler to do that as people who were off in the head. We do. I mean, people that kill little babies. Right? Somebody kills a little baby. Four-day-old baby. They make a practice of looking for little four-day-old babies and they kill a couple of thousand of them. One a day. Hey, I got my streak going. That sounds pretty horrible, doesn't it? Is that wrong? If God does not exist, we can simply agree that that's wrong. There is no actual wrong involved in I will suggest evil really does exist. And if you grant that evil exists, then you have somewhere or other down within you 
a realization there are some things that are just flat out always wrong and some things that are always going to be right. Therefore, there has to be a standard for that right and wrong. And that standard has to be God. It has to be. So the presence of evil in the world actually demonstrates, I will suggest to you, that God exists. In the absence of God, there's no objective requirement for something to be considered evil. There's no right and wrong. There's just not. So, when I was discussing this with uh, a rabbi over on West End some 30 years ago, uh, he said, it's really, you know, are the choices I make in life more consequential than what tie you're going to pick today? You pick a, a purple tie, I think that's what this is, if my colors are correct today. Somebody else picks a blue one, somebody else picks a red one. We're just picking what seems good to us. There's no right tie, there's no wrong tie, so everybody makes choices that don't have any real meaning. If we say God's not there, by default, we are saying every choice anyone makes is just like picking a tie. You kill a four-day-old baby, just pick the color tie, it's not wrong. Now you may go to jail because I've got police power or I have weapons and I can say, we don't want that to happen here. And we send you to jail, but it's not wrong. Not in any objective manner. There could be a culture a thousand years from now that says four day old babies ought to be killed. I would think that's a madhouse. But there could be if God does not exist and they will have made up their own rules. That's the real basic issue. Am I willing to commit my life to there not being anything that's truly wrong? Is there at the base of how I get up in the morning something that's always going to be wrong? If it makes me feel that way, then really and truly, I have to understand that means God has to be there because without God there is nothing that's truly wrong. Let me ask you this. Who are the two worst human beings that have lived in the last hundred years or so and who are dead now? I put up some names here. You can feel free to put up others. Hitler, that would come to mind. Stalin, he gets off rather easily, killed so many millions of his farmers over there in the Great Famines in Russia. Osama bin Laden, that's fairly popular today. I don't think personally he compares to Hitler or Stalin. Saddam Hussein also will show up. You can probably think of some people you think are pretty bad people. Okay, so fill in, fill in with your mind, two bad people. Now, if we make up the definition of good and evil, if it is subjective, if humanity decides what's good and what's evil, what's the difference between those guys and Mother Teresa? She lived in India, in the gutters, helping people who were sick and dying. Is it just she made her choices? <laughs> And Hitler made his, and they're both equally okay because how can there, there is no right and wrong? Is there no difference between your own grandmother and Hitler? Now, I will say here, I don't know your grandmother. You know, I mean, I don't know your grandmother, but surely her middle name wasn't Hitler. Did your grandmother? really treats you? Did she try to gas you when you were a little kid visiting at the house? I mean, 
Surely not, right? Is there no difference? If, if the answer to this question, if God is really there, is no, then you're committing your life to the fact that Hitler and your grandmother are essentially the same. I don't think it's really possible for people to live that way. Because you can't. You just can't consistently live the way it would be required if the answer to is God really there is no, the way it ought to be. Nothing is right. Nothing is wrong. You just do what you want to do right now. To answer, as I say, is to commit to a world, to answer no, God is not there, is to commit to a world where there is no difference between Hitler and your grandmother, Hitler and Mother Teresa, Hitler and whoever. There's no evil. There's no right and wrong. So, I would suggest to you, however, the opposite. Good and evil are based upon God's message to humanity. Matthew 22, Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your heart, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the kind of statement from the Bible that puts the requirement to do good on everyone. Love. Seek the best. That means if you're thirsty, I give you something to drink. I'm obligated, but I do it also because of love at the same time. Why do I want to feel love toward my neighbor? Because of the love God had for me. While I was living the way I wanted to, doing things that went against loving God, went against loving my neighbor, John 3, 16, for God loved the world so much that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him should not die, may not die, but have eternal life. God loves you. He allowed his only son to die to save you, to save me from our own sins, our own choices, where we were doing what we wanted to do and not caring whether there was any right or wrong. He saved us from our own messed up lives. I want to ask you, come live for him today. If there's something we can help you with, whether you need prayer, whether you need to become a member of God's family, please, please don't put it off. God loves you and wants you to come to him today as we stand with you.